welcome to the Doc Arena podcast in association with Film Ireland. My name is Ross Whitaker, and every fortnight I want to dig deeply into the motivations of documentary filmmakers. How do they choose their subject material and what approaches and strategies do they employ to fund, craft and distribute their work? In this episode, I'm delighted to speak to the amazing talent Lance Oppenheim about his first feature, Some Kind of Heaven, which is widely available in the UK and Ireland from May 14th. Some Kind of Heaven explores life inside the palm tree lined streets of the villages, America's largest retirement community in Florida. While most residents have bought into its packaged positivity, the film follows four complex retirees living on the margins, striving to find happiness. It's an arresting and confident debut from a remarkable young filmmaker. Here's the trailer for Some Kind of Heaven. Hi, my name's Elaine. Hi, my name is Elaine. Hi, my name is Elaine. Elaine is our name. The village is like being on vacation every day. The Disney World for retirees. It is like going off to college. You come here to live. You don't come here to pass away. There is no place like this. This is Nirvana. I'm just saying, for me, it hasn't been the fantasy land that I thought it would be. For, you know, for reasons that are, some are true to my own self, you know? Oh, my God. <laughs> I think that when you live in the villages, you're acting the part. Surely, everybody's life is not perfect. Now that we're in the villages, Reggie's sense of reality has become even more out there. I came down here to meet a nice-looking lady with some money that I'd be not embarrassed to be seen on the street with. You need a handyman, don't you? I don't care. <laughs> Who am I? You got the answer. No, I don't. They're in you. Who am I? Somebody found me out. I got in trouble with the law last night. You're charged with possession of cocaine. Who am I? You make me sick. I think I lose no matter what you do. If you want to avoid trouble, don't come here. There has to be more than just surviving. It's a new awakening. Go! This is the last hurrah. I'm about ready to call it quits. We have too much fun down here, you know? Hi, Lance. Thanks a million for joining me on the podcast. Just to start off with, you're, you're quite a young filmmaker. This is your first film. You're in your 20s. You made a film in a retirement village for people over the age of 55. I think most of them appear to be maybe over 70 or over 75. What was it that drew you to this particular subject? Well, thank you for having me first off. Uh, it's it's a pleasure to be with you. I am, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm from Florida. This is a film that's set in Florida. I grew up knowing about the villages for most of my life. Um, when I, you know, when I was younger, it was more treated as kind of the punchline at the end of a joke. Uh, the, the local newspaper was obsessed with, um, with, with stories about kind of hedonistic activities that different residents of the villages were engaged in. Uh, there was, you know, like elderly couple arrested for sex in public, that kind of stuff. So when I was in middle school, I had heard of it. Um, but I only started thinking about making a movie about it after actually finishing another film. I made a film about a man uh, living on a cruise ship for 20 years 
uh, as a passenger. And he talked a lot about um, this decision, this desire to escape reality, to, to, to um, isolate himself from anything that remotely felt negative in his life, to uh, insulate himself in this paradise, this, this world that he could control. And um, he was about 70 or so years old. And after finishing that film, I saw a statistic, uh, you know, that I was, I was in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I was going to college and I saw a statistic, a news article that was talking about how the villages had not just, not only, be, not, not only was the, the largest uh, retirement community in the world, but it, it had also become one of the fastest growing cities in America. And then I was like, oh my God, that's really crazy. A fastest growing city being a retirement committee, what's going on there? And then I started looking and reading more and watching different uh, infomercials they had. And I realized very quickly that the, the, you know, the allure, the appeal of this place wasn't just that it was, you know, located in Florida, um, but rather that it was themed. It was themed to look and simulate the 1950s, the 1960s, you know, a time in which many baby boomers grew up with, that the, you know, the desire uh, that they had was to return to a place that reminded them of their youth. And that was what the villages was really advertising. So to me, I just, you know, a light bulb went off and I just was like, there is, I'm surprised no one's made a film about this yet. Um, uh, I wanted to make a film that explored that phenomenon that looked at why, uh, not just why, but really the existential condition that pushes people to live inside of a fantasy, especially when they are reaching, you know, the last few chapters, decades of their life. So that was my in. And then when I was there, you know, things changed. And I think being much younger than most people in the movie, there was something interesting that happened where um, in some ways I was the very age that most people were attempting to return, to return back to. There was this Peter Pan syndrome that a lot of people there were going through, were trying to get back to this youthful age when they were in college. And that was, you know, and party and drink and have sex and have fun and live life. And that was something I was graduating college when I started making this film it was my thesis um, and there was something that was really special about that. I was, I think a lot of people that I met were constantly rejecting this idea of what I thought aging was like. They, um, reminded me of my friends in school and in, in turn, they, I probably reminded them of not just their grandson, but someone that they could have also known when they were younger. So I wanted to make a film that captured that spirit that looked at, you know, older folks, not as older people, but just as people. And that was, um, you know, that happened over time. Yeah, and one of the things that comes across in it is that even if you are in your 70s, some of the obsessions of youth are still with you, whether it's finding love or or the difficulties within a relationship or just trying to make sense of the world and, and, and yourself. The villages itself, I think the population is over 100,000 people or something like that. I mean, this... I mean, I'm talking to you from Ireland and I think it would probably be in the top three biggest cities in the country, <laughs> which is incredible to think. What did you think of that world when you entered it being so young that I suppose, how did your perception change as you went into it? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I think one of the main things that immediately crossed my mind, I wanted to find a way to make a movie that didn't, that, you know, that the immediate things that came across my mind were the more obvious ways to make this film. I didn't want to make a film that existed in this binary, you know, was this, was the villages a good thing or was it a bad thing? I, I don't, me as a filmmaker, I'm less interested in those questions. I'm more interested in creating, you know, experiences and, and, and immersing people inside 
the emotions of, of, of what, you know, a subject may be going through on screen. So for me, I think my challenge was I, I was obviously an outsider in this world that wasn't made for my generation, wasn't made for anything like myself. And I had to resist a lot of times this urge to, to uh, judge or look at the world uh, the way I feel like the world was asking to be looked at, which was, you know, looked at as kind of this plastic, uh, you know, inauthentic, Paul Verhovian, David Lynchian kind of place. I wanted to find a way to look, uh, you know, to, to, to lens the place in a more authentic way to look at, you know, the stories of people who were going through real problems in the backdrop of this unreal, hyper real place uh, and pierce through that inauthenticity, pierce through the, the prefab nature of it and, and, and turn that inside out and make it feel real. And um, so I think there was an element of that where my, my, I think my affiliation, my idea, my understanding of what the place was like and the judgment I initially cast on the place changed over time as I spent more time there and realized in some ways, you know, when you look at someone like Barbara in the film, the widow, her story, she really, I think, has benefited from the sense of community that I think that a lot of people who live there uh, are, you know, are really a part of. But the other thing, too, I mean, more generally, this is a movie that isn't, I wouldn't say specifically about the villages. It's more so about this existential condition of what happens when you're in your eighth or seventh chapter of life, a decade of roaming this 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 planet and your shit still isn't figured out. You, 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 you know, you're, you're, you're so close in some ways to the end, uh, but you still have so many questions. And I thought that, um, you know, my understanding of what aging was like, just from seeing my, my, with my grandparents was that you get to a certain age and uh, all of your problems fade away in the rear view mirror of your life. And uh, <laughs> these stories prove like exactly the opposite, you know, that, that, that your desires persist, that your problems never really go away. Um, no matter how hard, no matter where you move, no matter how much you try to avoid it, it's, it, they're still there. And, um, rather than making, I think, you know, you can look at the movie in some ways like a horror film because it is really disturbing in some ways that that's how life works. But I also think there's something really hopeful to the idea that no matter how old you are, you're, you're constantly becoming and you never stop becoming. Um, you can, you can, you know, it's a, it's a frame of mind. I think that the folks in this film, uh, that allowed me so in, you know, bravely into, into their lives. Um, I think one thing you can say about all of them is that they are all constantly in transit. They're all constantly searching to how to uh, better themselves and change their lives and be happier. And I think that is something that um, I didn't really think about when I first went in. Yeah, I think that gave me great pause for reflection that you know, you could get to that point in your life and you still haven't got everything worked out and, and that you still have plenty of things to worry about. And and I, I imagine a lot of people who are watching this from a younger perspective uh, might be surprised by that. But to go into the film itself, you follow three stories, apart from, I suppose, the backdrop of, of the place itself. There's the story of Barbara, a widow, recently widowed, who was planning to come to the villages with her husband and is now in a position where I suppose she's she's looking for a partner or, or at least starting the, the to venture in that direction. We have Dennis, who is a kind of interloper who is living in a, in a van outside of, of um, the villages and attempting to find a rich woman that he can move in with. 
which I just think is an incredible story that, that he allowed you to film it, considering he was he was sort of a fugitive in a, in a way. And then thirdly, we have Reggie and Anne, who, whose relationship is struggling in the face of a kind of bizarre breakdown. You get incredibly close to these characters and you see such vulnerability in them. You see the cracks in their existence. How did you manage to get so close to them? And how did you choose them? And then what did you tell them about what you wanted to do? Well, I mean, I think a big part of this, right, is is if, if, if you're looking to capture someone at their most vulnerable, you need yourself to be vulnerable. You can't be, you know, the, the relationship I have with each subject in the film, it didn't end when the movie, you know, when we stopped filming, I still talk with them, you know, once every other week. They're, they're like family at this point. And that, I, I think, is uh, a spirit that not only was cultivated while we were filming, but also well before it. You know, I, I spent a lot of time in the villages uh, living there, I, I found an Airbnb, rented a room from these retired rodeo clowns. And based off of that time of me roaming around, meeting people, meeting them, uh, there was a lot of time spent not, you know, not filming and, and talking and just in, in, in breathing and having wine and smoking a joint, you know, that kind of stuff. It was really just getting to know each other in a very fundamentally true way. And I, I was also, I mean, not to bore you with the specifics of my own life, but I was also going through a period of, of, of just thinking a lot about, you know, I think marriage, not marriage in my own life, but my parents' relationship. I was thinking about, uh, I'd just been broken up with, with uh, someone I'd been dating for several years. I was going through my own questions that I was constantly seeking answers to. So there was a, it, it, it wasn't as much, you know, I think sometimes in documentary, there is this sort of vampire-ish relationship where a filmmaker is, you know, profiting off of the pain or sucking the blood of the subjects to make, uh, you know, using their blood to make a portrait or a painting or something. And I think here the, the ambition was to make something much more collaborative and speaking to the way the film was made. Uh, you know, the way we shot it, it, it just didn't allow us to be flies on the wall, to be uh, forgotten about. I mean, this isn't, this is a, a, in a form, uh, a, you know, a way of observational filmmaking, a way of spending a lot of time with someone knowing what their routine is, and then embedding yourself in that routine, finding ways to heighten moments through, you know, the camera, find, you know, playing with lenses, playing with the zooms. I mean, lots of that stuff like that. But the way we were filming was 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 uh, kind of allowed each subject to perform and perform versions, scenes, moments from their life, uh, perform things that that um, that they were going through. And the way those things were captured was, you know, I had to be very upfront. I had to be very honest in a pain, painful way at times to basically state my intention, to state how I was going to frame something, you know, if you take, for example, a sequence where Reggie and Anne, the married couple, are going to uh, you know marital therapy with each other, uh, that took a lot of 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 um, of it took convincing, but also it took from from I think from, from their end, from Anne's end, it was really just how are you going to frame this? What are you going to be filming? What is your angle? What is your aim? What is your goal in capturing this sequence? So in a way, it was almost like you know I think it was really just establishing this this benchmark of of trust and respect for each other i would you know for, from for them with me and me with them i had to be very honest about how i was going to do something and when they saw the film you know when i when i showed them a few rough cuts before we locked the picture entirely but there weren't any nasty surprises they were they were you know we made the film together they saw it i think the only thing they were surprised by was like how we condensed you know hundreds of hours of footage into like an 83 minute movie 
but beyond that, I mean, I think they were really, um, just to give you like a little anecdote, I mean, Reggie and Ann, the married couple, they're still together, um, but they bought a, a bigger screen in their house and a sound system so they could watch the movie like 15 times, which I think they've now watched probably more than that. So there is an element of pride that we've all, we all took in our work. And, you know, even though this, each subject was going through something really painful in their own right, there was an element to which I think they, um, they really saw the camera as a way to bear witness to what they were going through. Uh, and they understood that what I was trying to do was to make something uh, fairly universal that could speak to a lot of people. And I think that kind of got them through their problems, knowing that other people are out there going through what they're going through and just don't speak about it. So there was an element of, of that a lot as well. Yeah, you mentioned a kind of vampiric or exploitative element of documentary filmmaking that I think a lot of people wonder about. I've always felt that when people decide to take part in something, that they are getting something from that arrangement too. There's a reason, usually, hopefully, right. why they take part also. What, do you think that's what it was for them, the bearing witness, or, or were they getting anything more from the relationship, I suppose? I mean, to be completely frank with you, I, I really do think so many people who are at that stage in their lives, uh, you just stop, I think, thing, and this is something Anne says at the end of the film, the more, you know, the, 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 the less, the, when she thinks about dying, she thinks about the less time she has. And when she thinks about the less time she has, the things that would have bothered her before don't bother her anymore. I think it's an element of letting go, of being less inhibited. You know, if I think so much of their day-to-day I think going back to one of your initial questions of just how I chose these subjects, we can talk about that in a second. But one of the things that drew to me was that their day-to-day, their routine, their status quo, the thing that they've been living in for however many years uh, was suddenly shifting everybody's. Um, and my presence there was a part of that as well. I mean, I think they they really jumped at the opportunity just to do something entirely and completely different. Um, and, you know, fun, like, again, kind of almost like working with actors they watched my previous films, the short films I had made, and uh, I had been working with the same crew all across those films. They got along very well with my crew. And I think they just were really excited by the idea of making something uh, interesting together, um, it, which is, and you know, for, for what it's worth too, I think they were like, if this is going to be one of the first documentaries that comes out about the villages, they, they felt pride in, in, in being uh, in the movie and, and talking about those experiences. Um, so that was to me, um, very interesting. And the fact, I think that they were so naturally performative, uh, in very different ways, each subject, that was also something important to me because I knew that when I got to the villages, when I, as I was spending time there, I knew that the camera needed to feel that reality, you know, distortion effect. The the camera needed to soak up the, um, and reflect how manicured the setting was and how composed everything looked. It needed to, it needed to be that kind of way, you know? In a way, they all feel like character actors, you know, not, not, yeah. the, not the main player. Like they, they could be, a, particularly Barbara, for some reason, I just feel like I can imagine her popping up in a Coen Brothers movie somehow. <laughs> you know, she, she just has this incredibly demonstrative face in a very, very subtle way. She's amazing. But you, you mentioned observational filmmaking. It, you know, it's not a fly in the wall film. It has elements of it that feel very much like that, or or maybe it, ent- it entirely feels like that. But then the camera is in positions that you couldn't possibly be in as a fly in the wall. So, how did you balance out the moments that are absolutely real and are incre- you know 
are emotional because of that with other shots that speak to that emotion or 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 um how would i say that other shots that enhance that emotion but that couldn't be captured sort of in the moment what i mean i, I think the first thing to, to that that i i feel like i've always sort of subscribed to is anytime a camera is entered anywhere there is a per, you know a, a, a perversion of reality right i think even even though fly on the wall movies and their handhelds there's an aesthetics at play that make you feel like something feels more real but no matter what anytime you bring a camera in anywhere something is changed the dynamic shifts people start acting differently their routines change for me the importance was getting to know people off camera to the point where i was able to embed myself in those routines and film things um film things in in in, in ways that i knew um I guess I, that, that would give me a little bit more control over, over the setting or situation. It was almost like we were riffing off of the reality of, of their lives. We would never ask, I would never ask them to do things they wouldn't normally do. Uh, but there was a level to which, you know, I would be, I, I would say, okay, you're doing that one thing, that one thing you have scheduled for Thursday. Can you do it in this location that at this time of day, uh, because we, it will look better for the movie and it will give us a level of flexibility of how we'll, we're able to film it. So there, there are a lot of conversations like that where, you know, obviously there are moments in the film, like when Reggie comes in on when Anne's setting up her anniversary, uh, the, the routine she normally does on her anniversary for him, and he busts through the door and he's talking all kinds of things. I mean, there are many moments in the film where we, you know, where we were in position to shoot something where, you know, we had an idea of what we were going to film and the subjects were in locked in, in, in you know, uh, we were in kind of collaboratively bringing that moment to life. And then something completely different happened. And that was really always the ambition with this was to try and, you know, choreograph something that normally happens, get the performance that, again, feels endemic, feels specific to their reality, to sp feel specific to who they are. And then also just let, like, honestly, let reality do what it is. Let things unfold within the frame that we could never have thought of. Uh, but at least we would know that we were in position, that we were we were capturing something that felt, uh, you know, you almost are embracing the artifice of not only the way we're capturing something, but we're embracing the artifice of the place to get to something more real, to get to something that really can engage with you as an audience um, where you don't feel like you have any distance, where you are engaged with the movie as if it was a narrative film. That was really always the ambition with it. Um, but, you know, there are no moments in this movie that are scripted. There are no moments in this movie that are that are fabricated to that degree. Uh, it's more of just, again, investing in like the dreams, the desires, the feelings, the emotions, Someone says something in an interview, I immediately latch on to that idea or that thought or that, that, that uh, the, you know, a, a moment that happened maybe two weeks ago. And we bring that moment that happened two weeks ago, we bring that thought, we bring that dream to life with their help. That's, that's really always, you know, the, the, the role I feel like I would play, uh, you know, throughout the making of the movie. One of the things that really struck me about the film was the tone you know, and it's great affection that you clearly have for these characters. And it would be so easy for you to go into that environment and make a funny film or, or make fun of them. So you, what you have is a very authentic feeling emotionally. And, you know, you have moments of great humor, but you don't make fun of them. That must have been a very important and difficult thing to get right. Because 
often in these types of situations, even the audience is expecting you to make fun of the characters because it is such a strange environment. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, and that, that was another thing of just, you know, the easiest thing I think you can do in a documentary is make someone look foolish, right? Or reduce them to a character um, or take someone's humanity and essence and convert them into a, 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 a piece of agenda driven filmmaking, which I honestly feel like so many, not this year, but I feel like so many of the historically like movies that are, uh, the, you know, the, the, the documentary branch of the Academy really in America loves to award. Um, to me, I'm, I, I'm just, I'm less interested in, in making those kinds of things. I think the way we were film, you know, shooting this film, certainly it was, it was like a tightrope that we were constantly on. And, you know, there were moments and times especially while we were editing. And this is really like a credit to you know, who I would consider like a co-author of the film. My editor, Daniel Garber and I, you know, we both were constantly trying to assess if, if we were, you know, pushing it too far, if we weren't, but I think there was this, there, there was this effect that that, ha that that had. And I think it almost, it, it, you know, captures, I didn't want to erase that tension while you're watching the movie. I wanted an audience you know, one person may watch this film and, and very well say this was, you know, judgmental, mean, not nice to the villages, someone else. And I mean, my intention was to do something entirely not that you can't control what people think or how they feel. But I didn't want to um, to paper that over. I wanted, you know, I wanted it to feel like it came from me and was my point of view. And, you know, my point of view is that I I am much younger than most people who live there and 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 and. and um, in some ways, I, I do feel like I have a, a, that distance allowed me to look at the world a lot differently. So I wanted people to feel the distance. And then as we got into these subject stories, you know, the distance starts to contract and you start, I mean, even the camera starts to, you know, we, we went much closer. Uh, there was a lot more close-ups. There's a lot more resting, you know, moments where we just let people express what they feel just by, you know, a facial expression versus the kind of wide portraiture we were doing of, of the clubs and the institutions of the place. Um, but uh, definitely a tightrope and definitely something that was challenging to figure out in the edit. And, and if, if you felt like the movie was being unfair to its subjects, then, you know, then, then it wouldn't be a good movie and it wouldn't be worth your time as an audience member. So that was something I think we were very much aware of and, you know, the comedy, the tone of the movie, I'm, I, 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 I feel like this is the way I was raised, but anytime something truly terrible happens, I, I think you have to find the comedy. You have to find, you know, you have to be able to find a way to, to not laugh. Um, yeah. To, to, to laugh, to laugh at what life, what lemons life gives you. And I think that was also an attitude that all the subjects of the movie also shared, you know, that they knew that, and when they watched the movie, they, they were able to laugh along with it. They were laughing not at themselves, but just at how insane the situations they were finding themselves to be in were. Um, so that was another thing that was important, that there was this tragedy, tragic, kind of a tragic comet, comedic uh, dimension of things. And I feel like that, you know, tragic comedy is like exactly what, like I'd say, most people's lives are. We, we return to the earth the same way we came to it. And a lot of us, if you get the benefit and the and, and the good grace of, of being able to live a long life, I mean, you know, it's not, it isn't necessarily always pleasant. This idea of graceful aging is like a complete myth. Um, it's painful to die and it's painful to leave the earth. So 
you know, there is a there 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 is something just really uh, there is something very sad and dark about that. But there also is the funny kind of hyper capitalist dimensions of that that you see in this movie, like the um, you know the uh, the uh, uh, pre the death pre arrangement seminar where someone is advertising. You know, if you uh, if if you if you sign up right now, you'll get like you know thirty percent off of your casket and your family won't have to, won't have to pay as much. And there is something really interesting to that whole industry and that the, the commercialization of death, which I feel like is also specific to that place. So you mentioned the edit and you mentioned having hundreds of hours, which I'm actually slightly surprised by because everything everything feels so deliberate in a way. So obviously that's where you want that's where you wanted to get to was a film yeah. that felt that way. But can you talk a little bit about the edit and how you approached that, how long it took, I suppose, to take all of that footage and to bring it down to what is a very kind of tight 83 minutes or so? Well, I, I had been working on the film, ver- editing the film before we were got financing or anything else. I was, I was working on it again as my thesis in college. And as soon as I graduated, which was, I guess, uh, May of 2019, um, I brought on, I found a uh, wonderful editor, Daniel Garber, who had edited, edited films like The Reagan Show and this Netflix film called Cam. Um, he very much, um, you know, navigates between both documentary and fiction and understands how both genres work, both mediums, both formats work. Uh, he also went through the same film program as me and was a few years older than I was. Um, but I'd say from May of 2019 until like December of 2020, when we were picture locking for Sundance, that was really the window when he came on the film. Um, and it was, uh, it was a brisk edit. It was, it it was, it was very fast paced. Uh, we were constantly trying to figure out what we were filming or, you know, what we were doing in the edit, how we were going to piece this thing together. The movie would not exist in its form if it wasn't for Dan. And I think to his credit, he really, you know, I'm I'm glad it feels intentional because obviously I think um, the way we were shooting the film was intentional. But at times, the place, as you mentioned, is home to 130,000 people. There's many films that could have been made about the footage we were shooting. We weren't just filming Barbara and Reggie and Dennis, certainly as we kept, as we discovered that that was really the narrative engine of how the movie could function, that it could be a portrait of a place, but then a portrait of these people who exist in the place and the place can kind of become the background. That, um, that, that idea that the foresight that that gave us allowed me to go back and and shoot just with these subjects. Um, But for a while I was filming all kinds of things. I actually released with the New York times opdocs, like a, um, uh, kind of an addendum to the film, a short film that has and a completely other story that I was also following for like quite a while. Um, but we realized very quickly just didn't have much to uh, do with, the, with, with, I think, what the strength of what the feature was. Um, the short film deals with sinkholes that are growing underneath the ground and sinking homes in the community and a little girl who lives outside of the community who's um, in this kind of ramshackle like country estate that's falling in on itself and the villages uh, developers are trying to buy that house and um, convert, you know, bulldoze nature into more prefab homes. So very different um, angle, very different take the approach of how we were shooting it, some similarities, but we were, we had a very different approach to how we were covering stuff that was outside the villages Um and uh, yeah, I think it was just like really in the edit where things started to crystallize, where we realized that there were 
many movies that could be made. And it was Dan who really identified this was most likely, you know, the best version of this film. Um, and also something true to what I had always sort of set out to do, which was to make something, um, I think, tonally that felt like this. And I think reflected at it like very accurately how I was feeling while I was scouting there, which was this intense pressure to um, constantly have fun. You know, every single person you meet is having like the best day of their life. And um, I think more people than not are very happy who live there. But for the people who aren't, for the people who are going through something that is really intense, um, it could feel like a nightmare. It could feel like a real despairing, uh, lonely place uh, that you are completely isolated in. So there was that expression, that feeling that I noticed my Airbnb hosts who were these retired rodeo clowns were no longer doing that. They, one of them had gotten leukemia and they were going through that together. So the, already there was this like, you know, going back to this tragic, tragic comedy thing. I mean, it, that was everywhere I looked that was there. And I felt like the, you know, the best way to understand the mainstream of a place is to kind of look at the extremes, look at the people on the margins. Um, and that's what we, you know, chose to do. In the footage that you shot, was there more backstory? Was there more exposition? It feels like a natural way to get into the characters when you're filming is to kind of go and, and ask them about their lives. But then in the film, it, it's a little bit more like a dramatic film or a fictional film whereby you start where you start and then their films progress in forward motion. Was that something that, that took place in the edit or did you always have that in mind? I think it was always something I had in mind. I, I definitely, you know, part of the thing I, I try to do is I do a lot of pre-interviews and this was like me roaming around, going around town. I bring a little task cam recorder with me um, and, a, and a camera, just sort of like a, you know, DSLR to take photos but um, so backstory is it's 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 something that I think, you know, from a process standpoint, I'm obviously very interested in getting to know a person as well as you normally would if you become very close with someone. Um, but I did feel like, you know, for 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 each person in the movie, I thought it was I thought it needed one thing that one thing that people say in the villages and one thing that Anne says in the film is that when when you go when you when you move to the villages, it feels like going back to college, right? And a lot of people there don't necessarily ask like the questions of who you were, what you did, where you're from, these sort of um, mental connections we normally try and associate someone by and identify and define your life by, they sort of evaporate there. Um, all that matters is who you are in the villages and how you spend your time and, and how you want to be known. And you can kind of completely remake your life. So in some ways, I, I felt like I liked the idea of embracing that attitude to how we met the subjects in this film. Um, and, and certainly there were different cuts where there were there was a little bit more backstory or there was a little bit more. We were filming with Barbara while her husband was alive. So we had been with her for a while. Um, there were versions of the film where that was still happening. And then, it, you know, really it was. But, but I think the, the attitude or the idea that we're going to meet people at this specific moment in their lives. We're not going to pay any attention to who they once were and let the audience make those decisions. Let the audience be curious. Let the audience ask themselves and think about who, who these people once were before they got here. I liked that there was something that was more immediate that could just be constantly unfolding um, that, that, uh, that we were watching versus, you know, impositions on my end where I felt, you know, you felt my hand taking you on a different 
uh, journey. I, I like that eventually once you get into the cycle, the, 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 the movement of the movie, you feel like you're just watching life unfold. And, and it's certainly it's life presented from the lens of our camera, but it is um, their stories and they are, they have a hand in how they want you to see it. Um, and that's how it played. Okay, well, as a final question, you know, this film has been a tremendous success. It's a, a great start for your career to, as a feature documentary maker, to go to Sundance, to ha have your film coming out on Hulu and, and here distributed in Ireland and the UK and, and elsewhere. What's your mindset off the back of all of that to, to go on and, and make your next film? Do you know where you're going next and, and what you're going to do? Well, thank you. I mean, it's funny. I, the, I mean, the things I only like focus in on are the things that like, the, you know, we weren't able to do with the movie and um obviously it's been it, it was a, a really great journey and in, in a lot of ways very surreal given that I finished the film in December of 2019 well before so my, many things happened um but no I mean I think really you know, one thing that I am trying to do is is I I, I really I, immediately finishing the film, I felt a, a, an intense uh, kind of sadness in being done. I think the subjects felt that way too, because we had so much fun, even though it is an intense movie in, at times, we had so much fun making this thing together and uh, replicating that feeling is not easy. Uh, and, and, and not you know, saying goodbye to the whole process of actually working on it was also not easy. Um, I wish I could still be working on it right now even, but I, I mean, my focus now, I feel like I've, I had a lot of time after finishing the movie and just being so entirely consumed by it to start working on other things. Um, and I'm, I'm working on a bunch of stuff. It feels like I'm kind of tending to a garden of ideas and projects at this point, but um, I, I'm, I've been working with uh, Darren Aronofsky who produced this film on another film. Um, and I, I'm working with the New York Times on another film. And uh, there's a few other projects, a fiction project that I've 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 been writing, and uh, hopefully I think um, there will be news about that. Hope eventually, somehow, somewhere. Um, but uh, I, I think my ambition right now is to just make something. I really want to. I, I I miss I miss. Uh, I did shoot a little bit of a project over the pandemic, uh, a documentary. But um, for the most part, I think my ambition is to really keep making films in the spirit, make documentaries that feel very cinematic and then um, also go make fiction that feels also rooted in that same sense of realism that these documentaries do where you're just un watching life unfold. Um, so I'm hoping to be able to do one of the two and just make anything. So hopefully the next time we talk, I won't be, you know, 80 years old living in the villages by the time I made my next movie. I don't want to be precious. I just want to make it. Uh, and if it's not great, then hopefully I'll have another chance to make another one. But as long as I just keep learning each time and keep making stuff, um, that's that's my, you know, that's all I really care about. Okay, well, Lance, listen, well done. It's a great film. Uh, I'm sure you're going to go on and make many, many tremendous films. So best of luck and, and thanks again for talking to us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Lance for taking part in the interview. His film Some Kind of Heaven is widely available on video on demand from May 14th, as well as at Dogwolf on Demand. Thanks to Stephen Galvin and Film Ireland for supporting this podcast, and to film composer Michael Fleming for kindly allowing me to steal his music. You can find more of it at michaelflemingmusic.com. And thanks to you for listening.